0: Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnit.org. morning, y'all. How's everybody doing? My name is uh, Michael. I'm one of the associate pastors here at HCF. Um, I would like to get the ball rolling this morning, come off... Strong. Um, raise your hand. Do we have any doomsday preppers in here? Don't lie. Um, yeah. Be be strong. Be proud of it. Okay. Doomsday preppers. Um, you know you got you got your uh, your off grid home plan. You've got. Um, You've got your gardening skills. You've got your backup plan with your family and everything, your, your guns and ammo, of course. I'm sure there's a lot more details to that plan, too. Um, now, I, I know some of you were probably a little too ashamed to raise your hand with that. That's okay. But I know some of you so much, um, you didn't raise your hand because you don't want all the other people to know that you're the one who's prepared because they're going to be the ones knocking on your door whenever everything goes bad, right? Right. Um, so, uh, now there's nothing wrong with a little bit of preparation for a rainy day, uh, but some of you need to keep that in check. You're, you're gonna end up on a TV show with the craziest <laughs> of crazies at some point soon. So you need to, to just rein that in a little bit. But um, why, why do we have this tendency? Probably a lot lately we've, we've thought in those, along those lines. We think of like the worst case scenario and then try to prepare for that. In the end, I, I think that, Um, it has to do with a a fear of suffering, a fear of dying even. Like we, we think, man, if society collapses or if the world comes to an end, like I don't wanna starve to death or I for sure don't want my kids suffering. And even beyond doomsday prepping, uh, we, we do lots of things, trying to minimize suffering and avoiding death in our lives. Uh, we, we worry about having enough. We store up so much to try and prolong our lives. We spend giant amounts of money on health care and research trying to stay healthy. Um, and all of it, if we really think about it, I think at the, the heart of it is a fear, um, not wanting to suffer, not wanting to die. We're afraid of death, I think, for two reasons. For one... Um, the, the pain of it. We're afraid of the pain of the suffering associated with death. We might think like, yeah, if I'm going to die, um, I want it to be quick and painless. I don't want to have some long painful death. Like have you ever watched a movie and someone jumps in the water and they're holding their breath? You, you hold your breath and try to see if you can do it as long as they do. And, and it never works, right? Like it's always so unrealistic. Every time that happens, it makes me think of, of my fear of drowning. Or maybe for you, it's a fear of, of fire or fear of falling or fear of being buried alive. I've heard of those too. We're afraid of the pain associated with dying, like it's going to hurt. And the second reason I think we're afraid of death as humans is the thought of what happens next. What happens after you die? What happens to your soul? Is there a God? Is, is he going to judge me? Is there heaven and, and hell? Or is it just simply an empty void and you no longer exist? For Christians, I think we've got this second reason down pretty good. Uh, Jesus has freed us from the fear of death for for the question of what comes after it. He made it clear that, yes, there is a judgment. We're all in the same boat of, of being guilty as charged and deserving punishment, not deserving eternity with God. But the gospel, the good news, is what Jesus said in, in John chapter three, that the judgment, if you believe in Jesus, that judgment, he took that on himself and you don't, you're not judged. You don't have to be judged if you're in Jesus. We get his reward of eternity in heaven, spending forever with God. So a Christian has no reason to, to fear death for that second reason of what might happen after they die. But for the most part, we as Christians, we're, we're still totally crippled with the, the fear of death for that first reason, the fear of suffering or pain. Like that song says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And it makes sense, like we we don't wanna feel pain. It's it's a normal thing of our bodies, right? It's what keeps us from uh, touching a hot stove or jumping off a cliff or turning into oncoming traffic on the highway. But for Christians, there is this uncomfortable element of our faith that we don't like to talk about very often. But today we're going to go there because God's Word goes there. You can turn to Revelation um, chapter 2. We're in the the third week of our series called Things That Are, looking at the book of Revelation, um, looking at the first three chapters of it. And then uh, next year we'll do another series looking at some more of Revelation. But uh, remember in the beginning of Revelation, uh, we see the Apostle John. He's in exile on the uh, island of Patmos. And he receives this vision from Jesus. And Jesus tells him to send messages to seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Um, and he opens the book with these seven messages. That's what we're looking at in this series. And then uh, later on, he unveils the, the rest of the vision that he had, the unveiling. That's what revelation means, It's unveiling. And so let's read together Revelation Um, chapter two, verses eight to 11 is what we're here with the church in Smyrna. It's the second church in the list. I'm reading from the CSB. It says, write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. So each of these these seven letters to the churches, it follows um, pretty much the same formula. It opens with who it's from and who it's to, and then followed by a message about what that church is doing well and what they're doing bad with encouragement to keep doing the good things and warnings of what the consequences are if they keep doing the bad things. Um, and then it wraps up with this reminder that this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches and you should listen. And if you listen and obey, then there's, there's a blessing waiting for you. So let's, let's go through each of those. Um, so for this letter to Smyrna, um, it's to Smyrna and from Jesus. Um, obviously each of these letters is from Jesus, but notice that each, each of the seven letters, it has a unique description of Jesus. And uh, all of those are drawn from chapter one with this big, glorious description of who Jesus is. And um, so for this one, it's that Jesus is the first and the last, the one who was dead and is now alive. And that comes from chapter one, verse 17 and 18 that Jesus, he, he describes himself. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And this is important for what we'll see in a minute for the problem that Smyrna was facing. And it's true for us too, that that any problem that we face in life, there's something that's true about Jesus that's gonna help us and encourage us through that problem. Um, So so following these letter outlines, you get to the body of the letter where Jesus calls out the positive and the negative of what the church is doing. Remember last week with Ephesus, Scott talked about how um, Ephesus, they were really good at pursuing truth and and denying the the falsehood and they were really good at doing um, lots of good things, but they had lost their heart. They had lost their first love. And so for this church, Smyrna, they're actually unique. There's two of the seven churches that Jesus has nothing bad to say to them. Uh, it's Philadelphia and this one, Smyrna. How cool would that be? Like picture today, if Jesus were to, to write letters to all the churches around the world today and, and we had a letter from Jesus to Hill Country Fellowship and he had nothing bad to say about us. Like we're fighting the good fight. We are loving God. We are on mission. We're leading others to discover their purpose and joy of Jesus. We are loving each other. We're focused on exactly the right things, exactly what he wants us to be doing. We have our hearts devoted to him and that's leading us to to love others perfectly. Like that would be so awesome. And this church in Smyrna, it wasn't a, a fictional, magical, like Narnia place. Um, it was a real place with a real church. Uh, we, we know who the leader was in the church and, and there was letters from him and uh, letters to and from this church. We'll, we'll see some of that in a little bit. But the point is, it wasn't some lofty, ideal utopia thing that we shouldn't be striving for. We as a church body, we can, with the help of the Holy Spirit's power in us, we can fulfill exactly what God wants us to be doing. It takes all of us, it it takes us working together, every person doing their part of the ministry, not just the pastors and leaders, but everyone is a minister. All of us loving God, loving each other, fighting sin, holding each other accountable, encouraging each other and pursuing Jesus with everything. It, It can be done. So let's dive into the body of the letter. In verse 9, it says that Jesus, Jesus says that he knows their struggles, their suffering, and they're in poverty. Before he even gives them any encouragement, he's really giving them the biggest encouragement of all is his presence with them. Jesus is saying, Look, I know. I know your struggles. I know the pain that you're experiencing. I know it's not your fault, it's not fair. I know how hard it is, and I know because I'm here with you. I'm with you. It's a reminder that we're never separated. Suffering does not mean that God has abandoned you. We also see a new perspective on suffering here. Jesus gives an upside-down economy when he says that, I know your poverty, but you are rich, the opposite of what we see in Laodicea in a few weeks. He says, you've, you've lost your earthly possessions, but take heart. You've got a reward in heaven that is beyond anything that can compare here. It's upside down from everything we typically think of. And Jesus did that a lot in his teaching. You know, the first will be last and the last will be first. Faith like a mustard seed can move a mountain. Those who are persecuted are blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that last one is what he's getting at here in this letter. Suffering for Jesus is success for Jesus. Suffering for Jesus is success for Jesus. That's what this is all about. It's obviously upside down for us today, but it it was so much more even so for them back then. It's unthinkable, like the God you worship is supposed to give you health and wealth and an easy life and victory over your enemies if he's blessing you, But, but not poverty, not suffering, not persecution, But for Jesus, suffering for him is success for him. And sure, material or physical blessings are a part of life with Jesus, and he does that all the time. We praise him for that, we pray for those things. But we also can't deny what what he tells us about suffering for his sake. And so for Smyrna here, it was from the Jews. Um, It definitely was the Roman persecution was happening, but Jesus addresses specifically the Jews in this case, the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but really they're the synagogue of Satan. Early on in the the church after Jesus's resurrection, um, the believers were very much still tied to the Jewish faith. And very quickly what happened is, is the Jews who believed in Jesus, they quickly became outcast and persecuted by the Jews who thought that they were heretics. That's what was going on with Paul, if you remember him. He was persecuting um, Jewish Christians until Jesus appeared to him and changed things. So Jesus is saying here that the Jews who are persecuting Christians, they aren't really under God's blessing as, as his chosen people. Just like he told Paul, like, hey, it's really me that you're persecuting here. So it is with Smyrna. God is on the side of the Jesus followers who are suffering, being persecuted. And for them, suffering for Jesus is success for Jesus. Say that 10 times fast. Suffering for Jesus is success for Jesus. (laughs) It's really hard, but easy to remember. So Jesus then encourages them in verse 10. Don't fear the suffering you are about to endure. The devil is going to throw you into prison and you'll be tested, says the devil. He says, remember who your real enemy is. That's what Revelation is all about. It's unveiling what's going on and seeing spiritually what's really going on behind the scenes. It's the devil. It's not that person you're facing. It's not the government with the unjust laws. It's not that religious group that is persecuting you for your beliefs. It's not that individual that you just can't convince of the truth. Underneath it all is a spiritual enemy. It's the devil. And remember, his time is short. He's doing what he can for now, but Jesus says, you are mine. I've got you in my hands. From the eternal perspective, you are covered. You're good to go. There's nothing to be afraid of. And so he tells them they'll be thrown into prison for 10 days. Now, lots of numbers throughout the Bible, especially Revelation. Uh, there's some symbolic meaning with numbers. I, I think especially of the number seven we've already seen. You know, Jesus is walking among on the seven lampstands. He holds seven stars in his hand and the seven letters to the churches. Um, there's, there's also, I think, of the number 12, the number 40, symbolic meaning. Um, there's lots of debate. In Revelation, there's all these numbers and time periods, and the debate is, you know, what do those mean? Are they literally periods of time? Is there, is it purely symbolic meaning? And I hope I don't disappoint you to say I don't really know. I'm still studying it. <laughs> uh, but for today, we see um, with this one here, I think it, it really is um, just the, the number 10, he's taking it literally, it's literally a period of 10 days. Uh, but either way, it's, it's a short period of time to be tested. Um, just like in Daniel chapter one, which Revelation connects to Daniel all the time. But in Daniel chapter one, if you remember the story, they let Daniel test a non-pagan diet for 10 days um, to test it out and see if that's gonna affect his uh, performance as a servant there. Um, It was a short period of time to be tested. It's a a temporary suffering. And that's what's gonna happen to the believers in Smyrna here, 10 days of being tested in prison. And Jesus' encouragement to them is to stay faithful, even to death, no matter how long the tribulation is, no matter what they try to do to you or what they say, stay faithful to him. Don't deny him. Remember the description of himself that he gave in verse 8. He's the first and the last. He's like the annoying sibling who always has to get the last word in, you know? (laughs) Jesus is saying, lean into me when things get tough because I will have the final say. No matter what the devil does, don't fall for his schemes. Even when they treat you poorly, um, when they throw you in jail, they hurl insults at you, don't give in because I'm the first and the last. This is temporary, temporary. The devil doesn't get the last word. I have the final victory, and so you can trust in me, even if it means suffering for now. You've got eternity to look forward to. And it's not just suffering and injustice, but even to the point of death. Jesus says death shouldn't be a concern to you because I'm the one who was dead and I came back to life. I have conquered death, so you shouldn't even be scared of that. This gets to what I was talking about in the beginning, that we're scared of death for those two reasons. And as Christians, we're good to go on that second reason, but but we're still crippled of the fear of death, of, of temporary suffering and the pain that it brings. But Jesus says, don't worry. That temporary suffering will bring you the crown of life. Paul said in Romans 8, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The glory of heaven and eternal life with Jesus in paradise, it so far outweighs any amount of suffering we might endure here on earth. And so for suffering to come because we're Christians, we don't have to fear that. Pain is temporary and death is powerless compared to Jesus' power. He gets the final say. And all of this was very real for the church in Smyrna. Uh, this church, not re- long after Revelation was written, their bishop or their, their pastor, their leader, his name was Polycarp. Polycarp is well known for the story of his martyrdom. A martyr just means dying for your faith. Um, Stephen was the first Christian martyr after Jesus in Acts chapter seven. Then we have accounts of the apostles and how they died for their faith. Uh, but Polycarp is one of the first non-biblical character or uh, people in history that we know his name who died for his faith. He was the leader of the church in Smyrna around 155 AD. He faced intense persecution from Rome. And as the leader of the church, he had the biggest target on his back. And so they came and they arrested him and took him to a stadium full of people. And they demanded that he deny Jesus and offer incense and say, uh, Caesar is Lord. And they begged him even to give in just because they didn't wanna have to to torture him uh, in his old age. And this was his response. For 86 years, I have been his servant and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And so the Roman proconsul, they, they increased their threats saying that they would turn Polycarp to the wild beasts to be eaten. He still remained faithful. And then finally, the the proconsul said that he was gonna burn him alive in front of the entire crowd. And Polycarp said, "'You threaten with a fire that burns only briefly "'and after just a little while is extinguished, "'for you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment "'and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly.'" (laughs) And so they, they martyred him. He died for his faith, burned alive in the stadium for all to see. It even says that that he didn't let them bind him down. He said that God would give him the strength to stay in the fire himself. Um, It even says miraculously that the fire didn't kill him and they had to to stab him to end his life. But all the while he was thanking God for the honor, the privilege of getting to die for Jesus. It reminds me of what Scott said last week, being um, loving Jesus comes first and everything else will take care of itself. Being fully satisfied in your relationship with Jesus That's what Polycarp had. That's what allowed him to endure this suffering and this persecution. It's, hey, I've got Jesus. You can do whatever you want to me. You will never take Jesus away from me. And and I don't need your acceptance because I've already been accepted by the king of kings. But here's the thing. It it goes beyond even just um, enduring suffering because of Jesus' strength in us and being satisfied in him. Suffering for Jesus is success for Jesus. Like when you suffer for him, you succeed. Revelation 12 verse 11 says that they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony for they did not love their lives to the point of death. The martyrs who died for the sake of Jesus in chapter 11 and they were conquered, they're now the ones who truly conquer and overcome the enemy because of Jesus and his power. I'm sure we'll dive more into that whenever we get to that point. But for today, just know that it was this unexpected thing. They had been conquered. They had died, but really that's how they conquered. That's how they succeeded. There's this element of of suffering and rejoicing throughout the New Testament, throughout the, the early church history. The apostles, they over and over encourage people to rejoice and consider it an honor to get to suffer for Jesus. Why? Tertullian was another early church leader in the second century, and and he has this quote that I think points to the reason. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The reason it's an honor to suffer for Jesus, the reason that suffering for Jesus is success for Jesus is because of his upside down economy. The first will be last and the last will be first. The rich are poor, the poor are rich, the mustard seed can move the mountain. It applies here too, that Christian persecution, somehow in God's sovereignty, it leads to more Christians. Christian persecution leads to more Christians. It doesn't make sense, it seems backwards, but it's part of this upside down economy that he talks so much about. It's the wisdom of God. He uses suffering to draw more people to himself, draw more people to the grace of God, draw more people to saving faith in Jesus. If you think about it, it's exactly what happened with Jesus. The devil thought he had won the victory. Like there's the son of God dead on a cross no life in his body. Satan thought he had gotten his way. The the one hope for God's people for their salvation, all this hype about Jesus, what did it lead to? A criminal's humiliation and execution. But obviously we know the rest of the story, right? Jesus came back to life. He used death itself to defeat death. He infiltrated it and arrested it. By dying, Jesus was able to come back to life and secure the victory, and that's how he chose to do it. He chose to have his success be through the means of suffering. And so for us to be followers of Jesus, we should expect the same. And so he says to Smyrna, and he would say to us today, look, if you identify with me, you're going to suffer for it. It's going to be hard, it's going to hurt, might even lead to death, but it is okay, it's temporary. I'm the one who was dead and came back to life. I'm going to use it, I'm gonna be there with you. I will give you my strength to endure and stay faithful. And however it turns out, it'll be for my glory and for your good. You have got such a prize waiting for you, you could never imagine, so stay strong. To finish off this letter, there's the final promise in verse 11 that connects to the final picture in Revelation 21 and 22. Each of the seven letters, the the ending promise, connects to some aspect of the end. And he says, for Smyrna, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. There's this death that we all face in life, but the one that should be feared is the second death, but it's not for everyone. Revelation 21, it describes it as a lake of fire. It's the final destination for all of God's enemies. Jesus is promising here that if you are his, if you remain faithful to him, you have no need to fear that second death. You are fully secure in him. You will receive the blessings of eternity with him. Whatever that will look like, we definitely get glimpses in scripture, but really it's beyond anything we can possibly imagine. It is all ours in Jesus, especially if you're suffering and, and being persecuted, losing your life for him. So what does this mean for us? Obviously, this encouragement applies to us today as well. When you suffer for Jesus, stay true. Don't deny Jesus. And I'm not talking about those memes that say, um, repost this in five seconds if you believe in Jesus, if you're not ashamed of him, but ignore it for, for Satan. Like, I mean, in your life, acknowledge him in all your ways, in your job, in your school, in your family, and yes, if someone were to put you on the spot and you had no choice but to suffer or deny Jesus, don't deny Jesus. Be bold for him. Even if it means losing a friend or losing some family connections or missing out on a business opportunity or feeling shame by culture. For the most part, I would call those minor persecutions, minor sufferings. They're absolutely still valid, still things that, that hurt and affect us deeply and still things that Jesus cares about and walks alongside us through. But also for the most part, we don't face big persecution in our culture here. We're, we're even privileged in our culture in so many ways. Just this past week, we, uh, us pastors had the honor of being invited into the schools to pray over them for the school year, I pray Christian prayers for our schools. It was such an honor and a privilege. And so long as that is true for us, we should steward our blessings for God, for his kingdom and his purposes. If Jesus can use suffering to bring success, how much more should we be using our blessings and our prosperity to serve him? Don't just count your blessings for your own sake, but steward your blessings for him. And don't think like the pagans did back then, that if you're suffering, it must mean that God has abandoned you or that God isn't real or he's mad at you. This sounds backwards, but if you're suffering for the sake of Jesus, you're blessed and you can even rejoice. But again, we don't, we don't see much of that in our lives today here. And so with this topic um, today, I wanna shed a little light on what it, we're largely sheltered from in our culture. Um, full-blown persecution, even dying for the name of Jesus is absolutely still happening today all around the world. So this passage should motivate us to pray for and support those who are being persecuted. I want y'all to see a video here for a minute to, uh, to see, get a glimpse of this reality that's happening today. So that's from Open Doors, a ministry that's devoted to raising awareness for persecuted Christians. You can check them out on their website, just Google Open Doors. Um, they have this annual detailed report called the World Watch List that documents the specifics on the top 50 persecuted countries in the world. It's just crazy to see these stats. Let me share some. In the past year, there's been, like they said, 360 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith. 5,110 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 6,175 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. 3,829 Christians were abducted. And 218,709 Christians were forced to leave their homes or go into hiding because of their faith. And it's likely even higher because they they generally take the most conservative numbers. Here's a few highlights from that report on the top persecuted countries. Um, Honestly, it's it's fairly rough, so if you have kids, you might cover their ears or something, but we need to be aware of these things. Again, this is all from the world watch list and from open doors. Zabi is a Christian from Afghanistan, ranked number one on the 2022 world watch list. Her story shows why the country is so brutal for Christians. I grew up in Afghanistan and was very well educated, she says, my family are secret believers. A few years ago, the Taliban came and they took my father away because he was a Christian. They tortured him for months and then they killed him. A few months later, my brother also disappeared and we never heard from him again. In the meantime, I continued to serve international organizations who were active in our country When the Taliban took over in August of 2021, those organizations departed and I was left behind. My mother and I managed to cross the border into another country. Our situation is desperate. North Korea has been at or near the top of the world watch list for over 20 years and that's because any North Korean caught following Jesus is at immediate risk of imprisonment, brutal torture and even death. The persecution in North Korea for this year actually went up even though they lost the number 1 spot to Afghanistan how bad it is there. And then there's Nigeria. Nigeria was ranked number 7 on this list, but it would easily be ranked number 1 if it were if violence were the only factor. Nigeria alone accounts for nearly 80% of the Christians who were martyred last year. 4650 of the 5,898 were killed in Nigeria. That's 13 Christians killed every day in Nigeria. It says, persecution in Nigeria is simply put, brutally violent. In much of Northern Nigeria, Christians live their lives under the constant threat of attack from Boko Haram, the Islamic State West Africa province, Fulani militants and criminals who kidnap and murder with few consequences. While all the citizens of Northern Nigeria are subject to threats and violence, Christians are often specifically targeted because of their faith. And one more resource I wanna point y'all to is called Voice of the Martyrs. This is another ministry dedicated to responding to persecution and supporting the victims. They, they share moving stories of persecution around the world and they have some awesome resources as well. You can find them at persecution.com. But we need to be aware of these things, this is heavy. These are real people, and much more, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering these things. Jesus identifies with them, and we should identify with them too through prayer, through support, through speaking up, however, we can. So, a practical challenge I have for you I want you to join us this week for corporate prayer. Uh, We have corporate prayer every single week on Tuesdays at 8.30 a.m. in the prayer room where we gather together as a body of believers. And this week, this Tuesday at 8.30, we're gonna specifically pray for persecuted people around the world. So to wrap up today, uh, here's a few key takeaways from this message. Number one, stay true to Jesus. Make the commitment now that if you were to ever face it, you would accept suffering and even death rather than deny him. That's the commitment that we made when we're baptized. Let's make that commitment fresh in our hearts today. Two, related to that, make sure that if you're suffering for being a Christian, um, it's actually for Jesus' sake and it's not your own stubbornness or stupidity or something. some people in our culture, they kind of hunt for persecution um, because we have it so good here, but really people just don't like you because you're a jerk. Um, and that, that just downplays the, the real persecution that so many people are suffering. In 1 Peter, um, it, it talks about this. It, he gives this encouragement, like it, it's usually there to rejoice in our sufferings and everything because it's an honor to suffer for Jesus. And then he says in uh, verse 15, If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs, but it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Number three, pray for the persecuted church today. Those are our brothers and sisters. Their suffering is Jesus's suffering. So their suffering is our suffering. And again, come to corporate prayer this Tuesday at 8.30. Along with that, stay informed about persecution today. See how you can maybe make a difference. Go check out Open Doors and Voice of the Martyrs. Those are two good resources. And lastly, steward your blessings for him as long as you have them. Any privilege you have, any blessings, any comfort, any lack of persecution is a blessing from God to be used for his kingdom and his purposes. Persecuted believers are using their suffering how much more should we use the blessings that He has given us? So I want to end today with some encouragement uh, from the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter four. He says, "Therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this morning and and your word that you gave to the church in Smyrna and uh, applies even to us today, God. Even when we Don't experience so much persecution, God, even the little ones that we do experience, God. We know that you are walking alongside with us. You are with us through every step of the way, God. I pray for the persecuted Christians around the world. Help us to be aware of that and and support that however we can. God, we pray that you will give them strength and endurance to stay true to you no matter the cost, God. We love you. Would you encourage us this morning, challenge us as we continue to worship you. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full service replays, visit us online at hcfburnet.org. God bless and have a great week.